Well, good morning. So, you know, there are times I, I don't do a lot of topical messages. Most of you know that. If you've been with us any length of time, I, I steer away from topical messages only because I don't, wanna, I don't want anybody to think that I get on a hobby horse. But there are a few times a year where I distinctly go after a few topics. In particular, this is one of those days. So all of you who came out today, thank you for being here. Um, normally I'm looking through, like in this case, the book of First Peter, and, and we have enjoyed our study. We've been almost a year through First uh, Peter, and we're still in chapter 4. Um, Lord willing, we'll get back to First Peter very soon. But today I want to take you um, in a different direction. So if you have your Bibles, which I encourage everyone to grab one or have one handy, uh, Deuteronomy chapter uh, 30 this morning. And uh, we're going to be looking at verses 19 and 20. Deuteronomy 30, verses 19 and 20. I'm going to be speaking to you on the topic, of course, of life. This is Sanctity of Life Sunday. There was an insert in your bulletin. I encourage you to take it home and read it. Don't read it here or read it after the service because I need your full attention this morning regarding this important subject. This particular topic for me, uh, and I tell this story every year, uh, is incredibly personal. Um, this topic is personal to me because I realize the, the, the sheer gravity of it, I guess, more than anything else. In 1973, on January 22nd, the Supreme Court ruled in a, a landmark case known as Roe v. Wade that abortion is a right. Now, there are clarifications and complications made with that statement that have been made over the years to try to figure something out. And, but I go back to that decision, of course, because that is where, I won't say where it all started, because it started in the garden. But it, for us in America, it's really where the crux kind of happened for us. It's where we publicly made the killing of babies legal. That's all it is. That's all and everything it is at the same time. Now, why is it so personal for me? Because I was born in 1973 in April, just a few months after this passed. My mother was an, an unwed mother, 16 years old. And I very easily could have been an aborted child. That's why it's deeply personal. But for me, it's also deeply personal because it's deeply personal to God. There are very few topics that get, this, that get God this emotionally involved. So I'm taking you to a passage of Scripture that deals with life today. For the last few years, I have I've really tried to dwell on, on the harshness of, of the other side of this, about, about the killing of babies, and, and I'm going to be talking about that. But I want to make sure that we're understanding that we have a choice in the matter. Some would even say I, I'm pro-choice, but not in the way you might think. I believe in choice in that I can choose the right things and the wrong things. So let's start there. Deuteronomy chapter 30, beginning in verse 19. If you've made your way there, I'm going to ask you to please stand, if you would please, in reverence and honor of the Word of God. And it begins here in verse 19. It says... <clears throat> I call heaven and earth to record this day against you 
that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore choose life, that both thou and thy seed may live. That thou knowest, may knowest lo the love the Lord thy God, and thou mayest obey his voice, and that thou mayest cleave unto him, for he is thy life and the length of thy days. That thou mayest dwell in the land which the Lord sware unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the day. Thank you for the choice of life and death. Help us, Lord, to choose life today. We love you, Lord, and we give you all the praise and glory we can muster. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. So I've entitled the message today, Choose Life. That's right out of Scripture. I can't make any better than that. So when we talk about it, though, it, it gives us something to, to ponder. In America, we, we take a different tact on this. We, we take a different look at it. For Israel, they've wandered 40 years in the desert. They're camped right now on the east side of the Jordan, and they're, they're looking over into the Promised Land. Moses is coming to realize he's, he's an older, older man, and he's realizing he's not going to get to go. And there's an ultimatum that is made by God. And you can hear it in our passage here. I call, on, I call heaven and earth to record this day against you. Now the idea is, is that the Lord God says, I'm going to call the earth and heaven as a witness against you about your choice that you're about to make. And here's the choice He gives you. I have set before you Life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both thou and thy seed may live. That's really the heart of this message. The struggle for Israel was, are you going to choose the way the Lord has made for you or are you going to go against it? Blessing or cursing, which would you choose? And, and naturally, we'd say, well, I want the blessings of life, and I want the, the good things in life, and I want to make the right choices. The problem is, is that we don't apply the choice of good and evil to everything. We think it's all gray. And I want to clarify something for you. There's no gray area with God. Now, you can call me a legalist all day. I fought that battle. I, I, it rolls off my back. Now, I don't worry about it. Because I've read in Scripture the end and the beginning, and I see it all in between, and what I'm seeing is God is black or white, if this or that. It's not complicated. And it's done that way on purpose so that we understand. Now, for us, we want the gray area, because the gray area gives us leeway. Leeway is, is an enemy of choice. Leeway gives us an opportunity to bow out to not be responsible. In fact, I would even say it gives us a place where we can be irresponsible. So I'm going to give you a couple things today. I'm going to show you how to choose life. How you can be effective in that. There will be some who will take this message and say, it is not something I want to, I want to have preached to me in church. I get it. Because I'm going to talk about politics. And I know that in most people's houses, you, you talk politics or religion, everybody gets upset and un, un, unended for some reason. Here's what's crazy. We've relegated 
uh, religion and politics as a no-no, a hush word in our, in our homes. And that's a shame to us. Because what's happened is, is we've said it's, it doesn't really matter because we don't want to offend anybody. We won't talk about things that are offensive. You need to talk about things that are offensive. And you need to make up your mind on which side you're going to fall. You say, preacher, you're passionate about this. Yes, very much so. I have raised three babies. I have a grandchild who I utterly adore. Would give my life in a moment for any of them. And I've got to tell you that choosing life is not difficult once you begin to practice it. The harder part of this is living it day by day in the choices every day that we make. For 40 years, Moses wandered in the wilderness with the, with the nation of Israel, and they made it very difficult for him. They were whining about food, whining about water, and I get it because they're in a desert place. And they would see miracle after miracle of God's provision. And now he comes down to it and he says, I'm about to send you into the promised land. Now here's what you need to know. All of the ones who, who didn't believe that the promised land was something they could attain in, in this life at all, God's taken out. Forty years is a long time. Two families, Caleb and, J, uh, Caleb and uh, Joshua and their families, were the only ones besides Moses that left Egypt, that were left. God took them through 40 years to kind of weed them out. See, that's a long time. Not really in God's perspective. It's a lifetime in others. And it was an opportunity for the nation of Israel to be trained. To train to choose the right path to go on. Train to choose God's path for them. They had spent time in Egypt. They saw the miracle of God bringing them out of Egypt. They saw the soldiers of Pharaoh drowned in the Red Sea. They saw the chariot wheels loosed and, and all of them drowned. They saw the, the cloud in, uh, by day and the pillar of fire by night. They saw all that and they could pass that down through generations and they should have. They talk about the, the water that burst forth from the rock. They talk about the manna in the wilderness and, and, and the provision of meat for them by quail from God. And they talk about how God led them and kept them throughout all of their journey in the wilderness. And now they're part here on the east side of Jordan looking into the promised land. And there's an ultimatum that's made. And God tells Moses, and he says, look, look, tell the people this. And here's what it says. I call heaven and earth to record this day against you that I have set before you life and death and blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life. Now, he makes no equivocation here. You have the option to choose. But he says, choose life. He's making it easy. Now, I know most of you here. And here's the thing. It doesn't matter what's happened in the past. We don't live backwards. We live going forward. And the choices you make from here are going to matter. 
Some of the choices you've made in the past are still having the consequences bared out in your life. I get it, it happens. But know that the God of the Bible is the God of the future. And He works to work righteousness in your life by the choices that you make here and forward. Therefore, choose life, right? Listen to what you get. That both thou and thy seed may live. And then he goes on, that thou mayest love the Lord thy God, and thou mayest obey His voice, and that thou mayest cleave unto Him, for He is thy life. You see, the problem is, is most of us don't realize that part. That He is our life. We see it in a whole different way. We see us getting up day by day, piece by piece, looking into the world that we live in and just trying to scratch out a living. It's no different. These folks wake up every day going, how are we going to provide for our families? We've wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. Yeah, we, we see manna, and we see an extra abundance of manna on Friday so that we don't have to gather on Saturday. And it comes back on Sunday. It's amazing, the process. He is thy life, right? That's what these guys are looking at. So I want to give you a few things today to help us. His words were simple. Choose life. Choose life that you may live. Or you can choose death and you'll die. It's not complicated. In fact, it's so easy because we need it to be easy. We need an if or. Either or. We need one or the other. We don't need complicated decisions here. It's not hard. So what, what does it look like? Now, not every day is going to be this momentous, right? You're going to make little choices that are going to choose life, and you're going to make big ones. Now, here's what's not going to happen today. I'm not going to tell you who to vote for. I am going to tell you how I believe you should vote. I know. Oh, scary stuff. So let's just talk about it. Let's talk about the things of life that you do have control over. I believe, and Scripture bears out, that we ought to vote because we have the ability to vote. Right? In our country, we have the greatest opportunity to choose leaders. It's not like it was in old England, where we didn't have a choice. The monarchy was the monarchy, and you just dealt with it. We had representation that was appointed unto us. These politicians aren't appointed. For the most part, they're elected. And the forces of Satan would vote their way. You say there's forces of Satan voting? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, this world's full of that. And that's why I'll never tell you vote uh, Democrat or Republican or Libertarian or anything like that. I'm going to tell you, you need to find the issues that God cares about and vote accordingly. One of them is life and death. Choose life. But what does that look like? Well, for a, for a really weird term, I'm going to quote a, another guy here that I found. Vote Christianly. Christianly is not a word, really, though, is it? Yeah. You should vote to your Christian convictions. Voting's part of life. Here, here's, my, here's my weirdest thing about I was thinking about this this morning. I was sitting there waiting, my wife was cooking breakfast and, and I, was, I was really just focused on this. Why is it that we're so bent on separation of church and state? 
We don't do that anywhere else. And basically, here's what it is. They're wanting you to separate not church and state, because they don't care. If the church tomorrow decided that we were actually supposed to be pro-death, they would be on board and in every pulpit in America trying to tell everybody, go vote for people who have pro-choice values. They would be doing it. They don't want separation of church and state. They want separation of morals and state. They don't want your morality to spill over into your life. And so they say, well, you can't, have, you can't be a, value, a, a, a valuable candidate or a viable candidate if you're, if you're actually pro-life because you, you don't want that to spill over into your politics. Let me help you. We are not pro-life because of a political viewpoint. We're pro-life because God honors life. So let me help you with your separation anxiety. It's one of those nice psychological terms. You don't have to separate it. Just because some judge somewhere tells you you should doesn't mean you should. You follow? Just because some lawyer somewhere says you have to separate your politics and your religion, you don't. You see, if, if you're practicing religion as a Christian, you're doing it wrong. So here's what I tell them. I am a Christian and I will vote accordingly. I, I can tell you everything about my voting patterns real quick. I look for three things. I, I'm a three-issue guy. And it really boils down to these three. The first on my list is he pro-life. Now, I mean pro-life in every sense of the word. Not just babies and abortion, but also euthanasia. I look at the whole spectrum. Are they doing it and making policies that are pro-life? That's easy, right? We can follow that from Scripture. Now, I happen to believe that the second one is part of pro-life. That's taxes. Some of you can argue with me on that. But that's okay. I just believe that if I'm going to have life and have it better, uh, they shouldn't tax me so much. And the third item I look for when I vote, are they pro-God? You say, well, if he was pro-God, wouldn't he be pro-life? Yes. Well, that's at least what they should. But see, the voting record ought to be the pro-life version of that. It's not complicated for me. I, I really don't, don't put any more emphasis on it than that. I, I don't want a perfect leader. That's not what I, I'll never find one. Uh, for any of you who, who might think that I, that's what I'm after, I need to assure you I'm not. If tomorrow, uh, you know, you pick one of those uh, six on stage the other night in the Democratic debate, uh, if one of them, and there are none of them, were pro-life, I would consider them. Not one of them are. And if, and if there were other things going on where I could see the politicians and their voting records and how they voted, I would look for that and I, I'm, a, I'm a really not, a, it's not hard for me. I'm looking for those things that are pro-God and pro-life things. Say, preacher, are you endorsing the Republican Party? No. Are you endorsing the Democratic Party? No. I'm endorsing life. Choose life. I believe that America is going to answer and is starting to answer for the 60 million babies since 1973. It's 59.875, actually. 
But who's counting? We are. We should be. 2016, there were three abortion facilities here in the state of Arkansas. I'm glad to say there are less than that now. I've heard different things that one is still open and I've heard other people tell me it's closed and so I'm not sure. I know all the ones in Mississippi got closed. Here's the thing. Why does it matter? Why does it matter if you vote pro-life or pro-choice, as they call it? I, I'm just going to call it what it is. It's not really choice. It's pro-death. And, and I'm a firm believer we ought to give the baby the choice. So let's, let's let it be born, grow up, come to 18 and say, hmm, do you choose life or death? Well, every one of them is going to say life. They want to live. Our problem is that we have been... I keep using the term relegated to the corners of society, but that's really not even it. We've just been quiet. We've said that it, it, it's everybody's personal opinion. Can I just tell you that's a, that's a cop-out? It really is. You have a choice. Choose life or choose death. That's it. If you've chosen the way and said, I'm, I'm just not going to choose, you've chosen death. Does that lay a guilt trip on you? Probably, and it should. I've held each of my babies in my hand after they were born. I saw them take their first cry their first breath, their first steps. I saw each of my children come to faith in Christ. Not my faith, their faith. I've watched as, as God has blessed them in their life and is blessing them now. Choose life. Pray. I'm going to give you two directives today about, about this kind of thing. Is, is first, vote. You should vote. Second one's pray. Now, I think you ought to do both, and I think you ought to do both simultaneously. Pray and vote. Vote and pray. And if we didn't have a vote, we would just pray. And we would influence others around us. You know, it's interesting. You read Testament and, and there's all these anti-Christian people who are oppressing the church. And you know what the church did? church prayed for them. And one by one, God began to change the lives of people around them enough to say, we can make a difference. I, I love the stories, if you read, of uh, uh, different, different factions of Christianity in, in Middle Europe when the Roman Empire was oppressing. You read all the stories about uh, Polycarp and all these guys who were, who were out there and they were preaching Christ and changing the hearts. They couldn't vote, per se. We can, thankfully. They couldn't, but they, what they were doing was changing people's hearts one person at a time. They were showing people Jesus. So pray. Pray that the Lord would convert some of these folks who are choosing death. That they might come to the side of life. Because God's blessings on that side. 
My worry is that since 1973 and we, we started legalizing the killing of children, that we would move in the, in the way of, of cursings. And I believe it's happening. Peace at a time, chipping away at the blessings that God has blessed this country with. Proverbs 21.1 says, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Right? Pray that the, the heart of the Lord, or heart of the king may be changed. Vote your Christian convictions. I'm not going to ask you who to vote for. I'm not going to tell you, go vote for this person or that person. I'm telling you to vote for life. Become knowledgeable about who you're voting for, that kind of thing. The politicians are all going to tell you lots of things. They're going to, they're going to tell you, oh, I, I'm for this and I'm for that. And they're going to have big rallies and big speeches. And they're going to have pretty little speechwriters that sit over here in the corner and take notes of how everybody's grimacing about this or they're smiling about this. And, and they're going to stick their finger in their mouth and put it up in the air and see which way the wind's blowing so that they can make the right statement to get across to enough voters so that they would all vote for him or her. But I'm going to tell you, Vote your morals. Vote your Christian conviction. Pope John Paul II, back in the day, he said this. He said, he called for the, the protection of innocent life in the womb. In his address to, to a conference uh, marking the 50th anniversary back several years ago of the European Convention on Human Rights, he observed that there is a par the paradox that on the one hand, the need to respect human rights is vigorously affirmed, while on the other hand, the most basic of them all, the right to life, is denied. See, it's crazy to me. I, I, we were sitting down watching some TV last night, just kind of vegging out. And you know what comes up? My favorite commercial. The one from the ASPCA. I think that's who it's from. I don't think it's from PETA. They got all the dogs. They're shivering in the cold, you know. They're out there. They've got a chain on them the size of, I don't know. They're, the links are like this big. I don't know. And they've got all these dogs chained up outside. And they're all shivering. And, and, and on comes the guy. And he goes, oh, won't you give to help these poor dogs who are freezing to death out and outside. And our heart breaks, right? Because I'm a dog guy. My wife thinks that my dog's a demon, but you know, hey. My dog got out the other night, ran a mile down the road. Some kids corralled him. He was running down the highway. And I'm pretty sure my family wouldn't have been too heartbroken if something happened. I would have been. Because I value life. Not that they don't, but here's the thing. Valuing life is, is not a bad thing. We value life in every way, shape, and form. The ASPCA commercial comes on. They play on your heartstrings. $19 a month. And they don't tell you that only 5%, 10% goes to help the animals. The rest of it goes to their overhead. They don't tell you all that. But that's okay. We should choose. You know, there are laws on the books about maiming animals. Dogs and cats. You can't do it. You say, well, there's laws on the books about, uh, you know, hurting children. I know. They just don't go far enough. They don't go far enough. They need to go all the way back to conception. 
Human life ought to be protected. If there's one place in the world that it ought to be safe to live, it's inside the mother's womb. You say, well, that, that's, what, that's why we give them the choice. Really? See, here's the thing. 90%, it's right at 90, it's like 89.7% of all pregnancies, all of the aborted ones, 90% of them are for convenience. Convenience. Now, what does that mean? Convenience is a big word. It means a lot of things. Well, let me tell you what convenience means. I don't have time to be pregnant and be burdened with a child. Let me help you with that. If, if that is the issue that is driving it, and, and you, you say, I don't have time to be burdened with the child, then let me just help you out. Don't have sex outside of marriage. Oh, I know it's shocking. Because the world tells us we can't stop it. Every single time it's tried, though, it works. What, what do you mean, preacher? I said, well, every time that someone doesn't have sex, they won't get pregnant. You don't get pregnant spontaneously. Immaculate conception only happened once, and God did that. Hasn't happened ever in the history of mankind, other than that one time. Here's the thing. Say it's not reasonable for you to say that, um, it, you know, people shouldn't have sex if they if they don't want babies. It is reasonable. It's absolutely reasonable. If you don't want to have babies, don't engage in the activity that causes babies. I, it, it's the same for everything else, right? I mean, if all I did was sit around and eat candy bars all day long, guess what? I weigh 500 pounds. Uh, we, should, we should have a way to abort the, the fat. I might actually go for that one. I'd love to abort some fat. You get that, you know. The problem is, is, is we did that. Our, our occupation, our, our, our abilities and our, everything was, was built around that. We ate all the candy bars. Of course we're going to get fat. Right? It's not complicated. You know, life is one of those things where you just have to either be for life or against life. It's, only, it's the only alternative. I mean, you, you don't have any other way to think about it. Even our own Declaration of Independence declares that certain truths are self-evident, that all men are created equal and are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights means they were given by God. They cannot be taken away by the hand of men. Among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, right? That's, that's the... Life is one of those. We've legislated life out of the, out of the way. One of the funda fundamental foundational principles of our republic, we have essentially let nine judges determine, and in that case five, determine a fundamental right that's given by God and not by men to choose death. You can't pursue happiness if you're not alive. You can't pursue liberty if you're not alive. Sixty million babies have been aborted, have been killed in the womb 
And, and now they're talking about, by the way, there are, there are the candidates that were on TV the other night. All of them support abortion between, anywhere between conception and birth. Birth. All the way up to birth. You can, you can have babies being born three quarters of the way out of the womb. You say, oh, that's partial birth abortion. That's been banned. No. There are some places that still practice it here in the United States. It's still legal in some states. And there are more and more, they're trying to push it back up where they can pass it in legislation. Some people say, well, you're just basically a single issue guy. You're close. I, I vote the way I read my Bible to vote. Oh, well, you know, you, you must support uh, slavery then. And all that. Don't go there. Really? See, here's the thing. When you read the Bible, stem to stern, God's all about life. It's not complicated. He ordained life. He began life, created life. He, he did everything He could to give us life. And, and we're, we're saying, oh, well, God, we know better. I don't know how you can do it. I, I don't know how you can... Uh, in fact, can I just tell you something? Uh, crisis pregnancy centers... Just as a side here, this is complete rabbit trail. 95% of the time, when they do an ultrasound in one of the crisis pregnancy centers, the mother ends up keeping the baby. That's why they won't ever federally fund that. And speaking of that, just, just so you know, up until just this last fall, federal funding of abortion wasn't happening. And now it's starting to happen. Here and there, piece by piece. There are those trying to fight it. Good for them. They should. They ought to. Thankful that those men and women exist. They're fighting that. I don't want you to think that I'm, I'm trying to tell you how to vote. Please understand that. I'm telling you what God views life as. Choose life. He wants to bless. But He can't bless death. See, all the pagan nations around Israel at the time, Baal worship was going on and, and various forms of that. Uh, worship of the god Chemosh and, and all of these other uh, you know, idols that were out there, they were about killing babies. They were waiting until they were born, of course, because they didn't have the medical training necessary to abort them in the womb. So the idea is, is, is that Satan's out there and he says, well, I'm going to take the one thing that God loves the most, life, and I'm going to chase it down and kill it. That's all it is. So he sets up a religion that basically you have to offer up your firstborn. Killing the blessing in the families. See, it's about families. I know everybody thinks it's about, it's about babies, and it is. But it's about families too. Destruction of the families coming through this. John Piper wrote... This He says, so it is with politics. You have to decide those issues, which issues are for you. What do you think disqualifies a person from holding public office? I believe the endorsement of the right to kill unborn children disqualifies a person from any position of public office. It's simply the same as saying the endorsement of racism, fraud, or bribery would disqualify them, except that child killing is more serious than those. 
See, here's the thing. You can decide that. Say, well, I've been looking at the qualifications for office and, you know, we've got certain things in our Constitution. Yeah, okay. I understand the president has to be at least 35 years old or to, to serve, or you have to be 35 years old. I understand that. Natural born citizen, got that. But let's ask, let's ask the deeper question here. What does he believe about life? <clears throat> I believe that that issue disqualifies somebody too. Because if they're willing to kill the innocent in the womb, they're probably okay with killing you. Tyrants usually are. Why not abort a five-year-old? You see, it never, it never ends. You, they're not legally allowed to vote till 18, so let's make it 17. Let's make the, the, the cutoff mark 17 to abort. Some of the kids are starting to get nervous now. Here's the thing. There's not an end. Now they're, now they're pushing from the other end. Now it's euthanasia too. See, life, life, you have to work at life both ends of that. See, so we're going to get rid of anybody uh, who is unable to do this or that. Mickey, what if they said they can't work on your hip anymore? They said anybody with hip problems, we're going to take them out. Can't support them anymore. And, and, I, and I, I'm going to tell you that you think it's, it's far from you. It's not. If, if the euthanasias had their way, anybody with any kind of physical deformity or any kind of mental incapacity would be eliminated. They would do it. Because they want to eliminate life. They want life on their terms, on this certain term, when, when that's about what God wants. I had a lady years ago who was a dear friend of our family, Miss Doris Culver. Miss Doris Culver was invalid. She was in a wheelchair. She could only speak and move her head. But she was the sweetest lady I ever met. She could pray mountains down. She couldn't move from her neck down. Every caregiver that came to her became a Christian if they weren't based on her testimony. <laughs> she was an amazing lady. Now, I believe God takes the weak things of this world and confounds the wise. The Bible says that. And I believe they're, they're going to look at us and go, oh, you crazy Christians, you're just voting your one issue. Yes. Because it all stems from that. Do you know that you will treat people better if you believe in a life position? Shocker there. Because you've devalued life on the other side. If you say, well, I, I really think that a woman's right to choose trumps everything. And, and that abortion on demand ought to be mandatory in every state. Guess what? What you're saying is you don't value life. And there will be those around you you will not treat well unless they've got something to give you. Because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, right? So Scripture bears out. Now let's read the rest of our passage here in, uh, in Deuteronomy. I, I focused on that verse for a little bit here. Let's go down just a little bit. Therefore choose life that both thou and thy seed may live, that thou mayest love the Lord thy God, and that thou mayest obey His voice. You know, you can't obey God if you're not alive. Had a woman one time who uh, we were in a video store, and I know I tell this story often too. 
video stores guys are, are little places where they rent movies. It's not, not the red box, but it's out there. I was in the video store, I'm waiting in line, and there's a guy ahead of me, and then me, and then it's this lady behind me, and somehow we got to talking about abortion. Now, it could have been that I brought it up, I'm not sure. But she believed she was pro-choice. And I explained to her, I said, I said, oh no, I know what it was. She was talking about Social Security. And how they were cutting back her Social Security, and she was so upset because she had put back and she had earned it. It was hers and her right. I said, you know really what, uh, what's really happened with that, right? She goes, what do you mean? I said, I said, the reason why they're cutting Social Security is because there's not as many people paying into it. The reason there's not as many people paying into it is because of abortion. She said, huh? Now remember, this is in 1999? No, 2002, three. 2003. And she's, she said, what do you mean? And I said, I said, well, think about it this way. Since Roe v. Wade in 1973, we've killed almost, back then it was 40 million babies. Those people have grown up. That's my age. Would have grown up had they lived. That would have been a bigger tax base. That would have allowed them to pay into the system and allowed you to keep your benefits. But because we've committed genocide, you got to look at this lady, she's, she's white-faced right now. But you can see the wheels turning. I said, if there was 40 million more people paying into the tax base, they wouldn't have to cut yours, your Social Security. She goes, I never thought of that. And in that moment, something in her pocket told her something in her brain that abortion was wrong because it was cutting into her pocket. So maybe that started a conversation where she suddenly becomes pro-life rather than pro-choice, according to what they say, right? I remember a passage of Scripture. You guys know it too. I'll give it to you. It's Matthew 18, 5 through 7. Go ahead and turn there. Go ahead and turn there. Let's just take a look. Matthew 18 says, And whoever welcomes a little child like this in my name welcomes me. But if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin... It would be better for him to have a large millstone hung around his neck and he to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of the things which, that cause people to sin. Such things must come, but woe to the man through whom they come. Right? That passage of Scripture talks about simply this. Those who cause people to sin. Leadership matters. Who we put in leadership matters. As believers in Jesus Christ... As followers of, of Christ and His doctrine, if we have the opportunity to influence, we should influence. He makes it abundantly clear here that those who would cause children to sin or to fall into sin or, or anything like that, woe to them. See, the problem is, is we've forgotten where babies come from. We think babies come from a biological whatever. We can make babies in test tubes now, but you have a, the problem is, is you have to use what God has already given us. Oh, I don't know, we're creating life, but you're still using the things of the earth to create the life. I mean, it, it's, you're, you're, still, you're still bound here. Go back to our passage in Psalm that I read in the uh, invocation this morning. 
In Psalm 139, verses 13 through 16, we see God making babies. And even the life, I, I love, okay, I'm going to use a reference I, I would never use any other place. Anybody familiar with cloning? Okay, well, I'm not saying you're very familiar with it. You've heard of it, right? Well, there is a made-up story, uh, you know, and I don't even want to mention this. This is so weird. I was watching a Star Wars thing. Oh, hate saying that because I don't like to use these relative things. In one of the episodes of a, of a cartoon, of all things, uh, one of the characters there who's a the main character with big ears, we'll just say that, has made an observation about clones that he's with in this particular show. They all look alike in the face. Every one of them looks alike. And the pride of their whole thing is that because they're clones, they interact and they do the same things. They're just clones. And what's interesting is the character says something like this. He says, you may look alike, but each one of you is unique. Because life is unique. And I thought that was so telling. So telling in that life is unique. Responsible for the life. Every single person, whether you were a test tube baby or you're born the old-fashioned way, is unique in the image of God. You're made in His image. Black, white, Hispanic, Chinese, doesn't matter. All are made in the image of God. And here's what he says about them. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Back in our passage, here's what it says in Psalm 139. Let me make sure I can read it, all right? Bad thing about me is I can't see anything half the time. But thou hast possessed my reins, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. Can I just tell you, for us, life is about living it. If you don't live, you won't live it. Wait for it, it gets even more complicated. If your parents never had children, you wouldn't be alive. Think on that for a moment. You've got to think on it. If your parents never had kids, where would you be? The idea that God is in the business, right? He says, in the womb, for thou hast possessed my reins, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. My substance was not hid from thee, verse 15, when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. God had His hand in it. Here's what's crazy. Even the, even the folks who say, well, test two babies are a testament that we can do it without God. It's not really true. Because God's even there. God's in the minute details. You say, oh, it's all about DNA and sequencing and genes and these kinds of things. Can I just help you? It's more than that. The spark of life is from God. The problem is most of us, we, we don't think that way. We think of life as something that just is happening to us. Not that God purposed. Let me assure you, God purposed it. He purposed it that you would be different 
than the animals. He purposed it that you would be more than just cells in a cup. He purposed it that you would be fruitful and multiply. He purposed it that you would be givers of life and, and life abundant out there for you. John Noonan, professor at the University of California, notes that under present law, human life has less protection in the United States than in any country in the Western world. In the words of Francis Schaeffer and C. Everett Koop, there are quotas on whales and porpoises, but it is always open season on unborn babies. If you destroy the egg of a bald eagle, it's $5,000 fine. If you destroy an unborn baby, you'll make about $350. Here's the sad truth. Most dangerous place in America is not some ghetto. It's inside the mother's womb. Life. Let me ask you something. Will you choose it? Blessings come when you choose life. Cursings come when you choose death. The nation of Israel understood it. They looked across the, the way and saw the promised land. And, and when they would choose life, God says, I'm going to bless them. But I'm giving you the option. You can choose death. See, God does that. He gives us free will for that purpose. Otherwise, everybody would choose life all the time without any equivocation. That's how we know we have free will. Because we can choose. The question is, what are you going to choose? One more passage of Scripture and I'll give it to you and I'll quit. This is Romans chapter 1. And while you're going there, I'm going to give you a quote. Chuck Swindoll wrote on the issue of abortion several years ago. He says, I was interested to note that he spent most of his time talking about sexual purity and, and the underlying issue. His emphasis helped me understand that the abortion stands as a symbol for an entire generation. That God, uh, that has rebelled against God and has chosen the path of freedom at all costs. So he says, we turn to sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Abortion is the symbol, is the symbol for the anti-God lifestyle that says, if it feels good, do it. And if it's inconvenient, kill it. Wow. Now let's go, to, let's go there to uh, Romans real quick. And I'll quit with this, message, with this part. I read part of this last week. And, you know, I, I struggle a lot with uh, what to include and what not to in our timing. But here it is. And I'm going to start uh, about verse 28. I would, I want to, I'm going to start at 26. For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections. Even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also with men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust one toward another. Men with men working that which is unseemly and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meat. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. Choose life or choose death, right? Being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, and covenant breakers. And here it is, without natural affection, implacable and unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. 
I want to focus on that one, on that one per phrase there, without natural affection. It saddens my heart that a mother would feel that killing her child is the, is the first thing they, they should do. It saddens my heart that some have even gone to term with the baby and threw the baby in a dumpster. Or whatever. And that makes me sad that that happens. I personally think we ought to federally fund, wait for it, adoption. It's another A word. They like A words, right? Abortion, adoption. Let's just go the route of adoption. If we federally funded it and all the people who wanted children in, in, in America today were suddenly inundated with thousands of choices, babies coming into homes and loved rather than going the other way, well, there's a problem there. See, then the adoption agencies would lose money and we'd lose jobs and, oh my goodness, and, you know. Yeah, but babies would be saved. Well, you know, there are a few that get saved that way. Here's the thing. Choosing life or choosing death. You have the option. The Bible says right there, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them to do them. There's an encouragement around abortion. Here's what I want to tell you. If you've had abortion in the past, if that's been something that's been in your life, God has forsaken you because of it. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It doesn't matter the sin. And if that's your sin, repent of it. Get right with God because He will forgive. Because there's nothing outside the purview of God on this one. There's opportunities for healing and opportunities for God to make your life better. And you may even be the advocate that saves abortion, aborted babies later. Here's the thing. Choose life and have blessings of God. Let's stand.